Let's turn this evening to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5 once again as we continue our study here in the Gospel of Matthew as we work verse by verse uh, through this particular book. And uh, we are looking specifically at the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings, of course, in this particular sermon. Our subject for this evening, before we even read verses 38 through 42, I've simply entitled Teachings on Dying to Self. Teachings on Dying to Self. In verses 38 through 42, uh, we have our Lord's fifth illustration of the way in which his interpretation of the Mosaic Law is contrasted with the perversion or the corruption of the way the scribes and Pharisees have interpreted it. In our text, and I think it's important that we make note of this before we read, this is not that the Lord is just simply giving us a complete list of what we must do in every situation and every circumstance. This particular section, this week and next week, are often very, very confusing as to how far are believers to take some of these matters. Uh, You'll see as we get into these verses tonight and then next week, they are two of the toughest ones. And even next week as we deal on teachings on loving our enemies. They're both prefaced by this statement I made tonight in our subject about dying to self. In order for us to truly be able to live out verses 38 through what we're going to cover even through verse 48 next week, we have to learn this principle of dying to self. This is one of those difficult things that we have to, and have to consider, and it's something that just doesn't come natural. Uh, to die to self means to put the needs or put some, someone else before yourself. And again, what does it mean? Uh, It shows us that there are ways in which we're able to test ourselves to say, am I truly dying to myself or am I trying to exert my rights in any given situation? Uh, To die to self is the only way we can even grant forgiveness to somebody who wrongs us. Uh, You'll find out throughout your lifetime, and many of you have already found this out, uh, I'm finding this out, Uh, that in order to die to self, uh, I have to quit always viewing life through what myself wants. What does God want me to do? Uh, How God wants me to live, how God wants me to demonstrate saving faith in my life is going to look drastically different than the way the world handles things. One of the great difficulties about being a believer is the fact that we live in a world that does not function and operate with the teachings of Jesus Christ as its paramount or as its center. So, although the Lord doesn't mention the word forgiveness in verses 38 through 42, we do see a principle of forgiveness that is being extended, but forgiveness is always only being given and granted because Jesus is teaching us That in order to forgive these types of situations and individuals, we have to die to ourselves. So let's look at this text together, verses 38 through 42. Again, the familiar beginning of each one of these sections. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, 
that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. This is five verses of extreme difficulty. These are verses that are dealing with a direct uh, offense towards you, towards me. These are not hypothetical situations. These are situations in which were very much prevalent in the Lord's day, and these situations will find themselves prevalent even in our day. But you'll notice that the Lord, as He has done in each one of these sections, He has began by saying, you have heard it's been said. Or this is the common understanding. This is the common uh, interpretation. And what he's quoting here in verse 38 is, is the law of an eye for an eye. And we could find this in Leviticus 24, verses 17 through 23, which lays out the law of restitution and lays out the law of how magistrates and the, and the law was to handle criminal offenses. And it was specifically meant to handle offenses, and it was to be done in the hands of the magistrates. This was never intended to be the way that man outside of the court or outside of the justice of the law was to take matters into his own hands. But just like the other subjects, what had begun happening is people had began to take what was supposed to be reserved for courts of law and in a way beginning to seek out their own revenge and seek out their own justice against wrongdoing against them. Now again, remember, I mentioned in our introduction that this is not a list of everything that a believer must do in every circumstance and every situation. If you approach this passage as saying that there is not some situations where these things are not possible, you're going to misinterpret this text. But we do need to establish that the law, in its true mosaic form, the law of an eye for an eye, was only to be administered in the proper courts of law. Again, the Mosaic Law, it was not flawed. Jesus did not come to say that the Mosaic Law was flawed, and I'm here to correct it. He's correcting the Pharisees and the scribes' false application and corruption of it. We've dealt with that over the last month. And by the way, this law of an eye for an eye, when it was being administered uh, in working, in society was probably much more effective than even the modern system we have in our system today where simply you might fine a person and a person might pay a monetary penalty and you can obviously see where a person with a lot of money uh, that really has little to no effect but an eye for an eye had quite an effect in the in the justice system right and it's important to establish this because when the law of retaliation started to infiltrate everyday common people, it became the rule of life. In other words, what was happening in Jesus' day was simply this, that if you take my eye, I'm taking yours. And they were quoting 
Leviticus 24, 17 through 23, when they would do it saying, well, you know what the law says, the law says an eye for an eye. But remember, that was only supposed to be done as administered by the proper authorities. So there are things, even in our modern American court of law, that it is against the law and a crime for you to commit. But the, the government, the law, has the authority to carry that out. For example, whether you believe it or don't believe in it or support or don't support it, the death penalty. The states have been given the right to carry out the death penalty through certain avenues and certain channels. You and I, in most every situation, have no authority to carry out the death penalty. You, do, you don't have the right to do it. Now, I know there's the, all the different laws, and if someone's on your property, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you do not have the right to condemn someone to death and do not have the authority to carry it out. Certain states do have that authority, and that's what's at, that's it, what, that's what's at the heart of this. The common people had begun to use this judicial law as their way of dealing with people. So if they were offended, they returned in kind. It's the law of retaliation. What, what would that do in a society? It would foster a society of revenge. Jesus was not tolerating revenge. This was not about individuals carrying out retaliatory acts. Now, we understand that good laws in court, okay, a, a law that works in court may be a very bad thing, in common society. I just gave you the example of the death penalty. Okay, whether you support it or don't support it. Take any crime. There are certain things that the court has the right to impose that we don't. That's what's at the heart of this. This had become so prevalent that it had become a proverb. In other words, people saw an offense and they'd say, well, you've heard it's been said. An eye for an eye. Go ahead and take retaliation against that individual. Remember, the Mosaic law was in fact what it was meant to be, a law. But remember, Jesus has also been teaching us that we are not to be ruled by the letter of the law, we're to be ruled by the spirit of love, not by the rule of law. In other words, what believers should not be doing is trying to find every way to invoke the law themselves. He's going to deal with that because he's going to talk about being sued. He's going to talk about being struck on the cheek. He's going, to be he's going to talk about being compelled to do something that you don't want to do. And in every situation, he's saying you should submit to that. And therein lies the difficulty. How far are we supposed to take this? Christ is not finding any problem with an eye for an eye as administered in the court. Okay? So he's not saying eye for an eye was a mistake in the Mosaic law. No, he said in the court of law, that's completely appropriate. He's not repealing that. But instead of confining it to the magistrates, the Jews extended it to their private conduct. That's what Jesus is correcting. And they would consider themselves to be justified by that rule to inflict the same injury on others that they had received. Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm saying. He said, you have heard it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you. And look what he says, that ye resist not 
evil. So we see here that Jesus himself declares that the law was never intended to refer to private revenge. Okay, revenge should not be the motivation of children of God. Now, revenge is a very, very difficult emotion and a very, very difficult thing to control. Because we know that when somebody wrongs us, it is, it is innate in our human nature to return in kind the same injury that was given to us. That's our nature. Folks, that's the reality. There's something within every one of us that when somebody wrongs us, our initial response is often not turn the other cheek. Our response is, I'm going to return fire. And I'm going to return fire maybe with just a little bit more fire than you fired at me just to make sure that you know that I'm coming. Now that's the idea here. Is that Jesus is saying that what governs a magistrate is not the same thing that governs in private conduct. Even the court of law, even the court of law has the authority to do this eye for an eye, but not, not a common citizens every day. So that's what leads us to verse 39. That you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. What should be one of the ruling characteristics of a child of God is forbearance and non-resistance. I know this is very, very difficult. Uh, this is one of those passages that when you read it, you say, but, but Lord, what about? But Lord, what about this? And we're going to cover this in just a moment. But you realize that all throughout Scripture, you find out that Jesus continues to consistently teach forbearance and non-resistance. Now, I understand there are things going on in our world today. There are things that have gone on over the last year and a half that have led a lot of people to find themselves on all sides of this, all sides of this equation. There have been people that have said, we're justified in doing this, we're justified in doing this, we're justified in resisting, we're justified in this. And I want you to understand something, that that's not what Jesus would have taught, and he would not have taught that resistance is the first response. Now, there are circumstances and there are situations. We could use the Apostle, the Apostle Paul in the, in the book of Acts, and, and we could talk about you know, when, when Peter was, was told to not speak in the name and not preach Christ any longer. There are times when we clearly, biblically, we cannot obey that. But there has been many, many, many things over the last year and a half, for example, where Christians have gotten this wrong where they've decided, I'm justified in resisting, I'm justified in doing it. But imagine what Jesus is saying here. If someone smites you on the cheek, on the right cheek, turn to him the other. We don't hear a lot about that. We hear that, I was, that I've been struck, so I immediately need to strike back. But yet, that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Now, the rule... The rule of the judgment seat of Christ, for example, is not something that's going to rule our common everyday life. The judgment seat is the rule of the cross. When we stand before the judgment seat, when we stand before Christ and, and we stand, we're going to be standing for the one who in his, in his earthly life 
He demonstrated this, these principles of turning the other cheek even when he was struck. When they were plucking out his beard, when they were crowning him with thorns, he wasn't resisting. And yet somehow we as Christians have said, well, we're, but we're justified in our resistance. Again, these things are not as easy to comprehend as we would like them to be. We are never promised, we are never promised a utopian society. We're never promised this side of glory, that this was supposed to be the easy road. We are never promised that living a Christian life means you're going to live a life of ease. The day of your conversion, your life, your common life got extremely difficult. Your life got more difficult than the common unbeliever because the world hates Christ and hates his followers. And by that hatred, we are going to, as the Bible says, we ought to count it a privilege that we were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And yet, the Lord here is teaching forbearance. How do we learn to bear this kind of outpouring which appears to be unjust? That's where the subject comes in of dying to self. When we die to ourself, we become forbearing. When you die to self, you become much more patient. How can we do this? Is Jesus asking us to do something that's impossible? Or is it He teaching us something that can only be done in the power of God? I would submit to you that it can only be done in the power of God. I can guarantee you there's not many believers you're going to run into who say, look, if somebody, if somebody strikes me on the right cheek, then I'm not going to turn around and strike right back. And we're going to say I'm justified in doing it. And again, where's the line? Where is the line of what happens with this non-resistance? What is, what is Jesus really teaching us about this? Well, the general principle here in this verse is what Jesus is laying down is that we are not to resist evil. In other words, it's, it's more than just striking back. It has the idea of not setting yourself against an evil person. And the general direction of this, this is not Jesus' teaching that all modes of horrific acts towards us are not supposed to be, um, we're not supposed to protect. For example, and I'm not, I don't want to be rude and crude about this. He is not saying, listen, if somebody comes into your home, for example, and is taking your family, that you're supposed to sit there and say, oh, I'm supposed to not resist evil. Okay? This, 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 is, this is where people go to so far of an extreme. Where Jesus would never sit there and say, listen, uh, just watch why your family uh, is, is, is being, their lives are being taken, for example. Listen, when, when a person's life is in danger, uh, even the Lord himself here, there is a sense where that self-defense is going to be justified. 
It's not the intention here to teach that a father should just sit by and watch his family uh, be kidnapped or his family be murdered and not allowed to defend them. There's something more that's going on here. Uh, Jesus immediately explains what he means. And here's how we know that this is not, this is not what he means. Had he truly intended to, and he, to refer to a case where life is in danger, he would have done it. But he didn't mention specifically. He doesn't say, here's where you can do that. But it's implied from the reality that this is something, this is a, there's a limit to this. Now, this is an unusual doctrine. This is unusual because this is not what the world had believed. The world would believe that if, even if a person strikes you because they took the eye for an eye, the law of retaliation, that even the simplest thing, I'm going to retaliate. Okay, I'm going to retaliate against you. Jesus, I believe, is confining this to these smaller matters. Folks, here's, here's the reality. Most of our lives are marked by small matters, not big things. Most of these situations are in small situations. They're not, they're not this example of where your family is being threatened. Jesus is not talking about this big, large matter of, of, a, of, a, of, of an attack on your family. He's talking about your conduct in everyday life. And he's going to start mentioning even lawsuits, which is quite fascinating that Jesus covers all of this ground. This first case where he's speaking about is when he's talking about being, if someone strikes us on the cheek, what he's principally teaching here is, is rather than contend and fight with that individual, we should take it patiently, turn the other cheek. Don't be ready to just fight at the drop of a hat. Don't be ready to fight at every single time something goes against us. Now, it might be an unjust thing. And someone might have been really, truly doing us wrong. But the Apostle Paul in Romans taught about where revenge lies and who, who has the authority to inflict revenge or to retaliate. But Jesus himself in John chapter number 18 gives us an example of how he did not retaliate to an injustice. John 18, verse 19 through 24. Jesus is, is uh, being questioned about his doctrine. And the high priest in verse 19 asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. What have I said unto them? Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. If we just simply looked at this and said, I'm justified, and if I'm justified because somebody has wronged me, why did Jesus not strike back? Why did he not return in retaliatory fashion by being struck 
by the palm of this individual's hand. If Jesus' intent was, when you are struck, strike back, that's what he would have said. But he doesn't say that. He goes on and he answers the question. And notice how he answers it. If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? He said, examine my words. We know he didn't speak evil. But he still, re- he still received evil treatment. Again, this idea that says we're justified in doing something, Jesus as the example shows us the exact opposite. Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. Again, these, these are not easy principles. Uh, Romans 12, look at verse 17. This is in the section of Paul dealing with overcoming evil with good. Verse 17, Romans 12, recompense to no man evil for evil. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. He's not just talking about live peaceably with the brethren. He's saying live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Folks, this is not a suggestion. This is the Lord saying, vengeance belongs to me. I am authorized to carry out vengeance. He doesn't say I might repay. He says I will repay. I will repay, therefore, this gets into what we're going to talk about next week, if thine enemy. Now, let's think about for a moment what an enemy is. An enemy is not your friend. An enemy, in many cases, wants you dead. An enemy is not looking out for your best interest. And who is Paul talking about here? He's, he's quoting what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And then here's the key. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Folks, you're only able, we're only able to accomplish this when we truly die to ourselves and we truly die to this life. Remember, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount to people who are citizens of His kingdom. He is, he is talking to people that are already, they're already part of His kingdom, and yet He's telling them, your life is going to look different than the rest of the world. Again, these passages sometimes, sometimes they make us a little upset. Because they, we almost begin to say, does Jesus not really know how real life works? Does he not really know how hard it would be that if someone strikes us, how we're not supposed to strike back? But then go back to our text in Matthew 5, that's not the end of it. We're already going to have a hard time applying that. And he goes a step further. And if any man will sue thee at law. Now, the context before we read the rest of this verse 
is he's talking about a lawsuit. Okay, he's talking about being taken to court. And take away thy coat. So the taking away of a coat is connected directly with a lawsuit. This is not a mugging on the street. This is not someone taking your coat when it's cold. This is someone suing you and taking your coat. What does he say about the coat? Let him have thy cloak also. We'll talk about why he not only mentions the coat, but he also mentions a cloak. It is Jesus' teaching here that it is better to lose your coat and your cloak than to be drawn in to a world's lawsuit. Do you know how badly most people hate to lose anything? Do you know how badly, especially people of competitive nature, how losing at something can make you lose your mind? There are, uh, this might be hitting close to home for me, there are sports fanatics that when someone loses, we almost lose our mind like it's the end of the world. Like the sun's going to stop shining tomorrow if that team loses. He said you are better to lose your coat and your cloak than to be drawn into the world's system of law. Now, we might say today, well, yeah, I don't, want to be in, I don't want to be in our court system because courts can be vicious. Do you know how vicious the courts were against the Jews and against God's people in that day? There was intentional bias and intentional prejudice against those who Jews or anybody who may have even been considered to be anti-government. Even in our own courts today, the idea is, is to settle and to solve the matter quickly. Now, it doesn't work that way because we know the court system works with a system of appeals that seems to go on forever. But the intent was that this would be solved quickly. What is Jesus getting at here? He's getting at the reality of saying it would be better for you to be a peacemaker than to be drawn in to a strife-filled lawsuit. Yet, here even in our country, we're not supposed to resort to the law for everything that's personally done wrong to us. We should rather endure than to be put into the world system. How many times do you hear people, even in our society today, say, you do this, I'll sue you. It's alarming. If you look out over the landscape of churches in our country, how many Christian brothers and sisters take each other to court? They're suing each other. They're, 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 taking, they're taking their complaints to the courtroom in situations where they should be able to resolve. And if they were both practicing this, listen, you're better off to lose your, cloak, your coat and your cloak than to go into a lawsuit. Often people say the Bible is too antiquated. It doesn't deal with modern or contemporary matters. This is a very contemporary matter. At this time, it's times like this where the very rule of dying to self 
may require us to take steps that we think we can't take. Now, there are, there are cases, there are, there are times when there is no other way. But folks, shouldn't we as believers have a patient spirit? Shouldn't we as believers be able to forbear? Again, he's not talking about all these big things. He's talking about just the common things that happen in our life. This second evil that man is prone to is he is prone to take advantage of all the law can give him. Christ is directing us rather to imitate instead of contending with a revengeful spirit in the courts of justice, just yield to it. Again, this is so anti-us, it's not even funny. Because we all, but I'm justified. I, I was wronged. So can't I wrong them back or shouldn't I? Can't I make this matter right? Again, remember, this was more about making these things about matters that are trivial. Now, this interesting thing about the coat and the cloak, why did he mention two garments? Because the Jews were known to wear two principal garments. This is an important piece. They wore an interior garment and an exterior garment. The interior garment was the garment that was called the coat, or what we have heard is called a tunic. That coat, that tunic, was often made of linen, and it encircled the entire body, extended all the way down to the knees. It extended up to the neck. On top of that tunic was a garment. That garment was known as a cloak, or sometimes you'll see in the Old Testament, you'll see the word mantle being used. It was made, it was a square, it was a, it was a square garment that was as long as it was broad, a, a square piece of material. And it was wrapped around the body. Anytime labor was necessary, it was that top garment, that top mantle that was taken off. Jesus clearly is saying that if an adversary wishes to obtain at law, with a lawsuit, one of these garments, rather than contend with him, let him have both. But that's not fair. That's what Jesus is saying. You are better off to let him have the coat and the cloak than to be drawn into a lawsuit. There's a reference made to these articles of apparel throughout the Scripture, especially in the New Testament. So it's important that we have a view of what Jesus was talking about here when he talked about these, these garments. This was the ordinary dress of the day. This was an ordinary, common thing that would, have been, that would not have been unusual for them to sue for. Verse 41, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Oftentimes, this, this becomes a camp meeting sermon. I'm not trying to be utterly offensive. To where we use this as catchy phrases about being an extra mile Christian. And we use it in a lot of different avenues and a lot of different ways. But understand something, that what Jesus was talking about was something that really did happen. And it took place quite often. This was not just going out of your way to be nice to someone. 
In, a, in, 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 in fact, what this actually was is the government in the days of the Lord demanded, get this, think how this would work in our modern American society. The government demanded service through people. In other words, if a government official came up to you and said, I want you to go a mile, there was no such thing as resisting that. Now, today in our society, everything is my rights, my rights, my rights, my constitution, I get it. But do you realize what was happening here is these governments would demand forced service. Let me repeat it. Forced service. We don't like to be forced to do anything. This forced service had a purpose. What Jesus is saying by saying, go with him the mile, go the extra mile, is meaning to have a yielding temper. And rather than evoke ill words and anger towards the person saying, you don't have a right to make me do this, do him one better and do the forced service by going an extra mile. The mile was not just a, a phrase he threw out there. There actually was a reason. Yield is the word. When you die to self, yielding becomes part of your common everyday living. To stand up against force is not our main responsibility. But folks, it's amazing to me how few people, when they talk about how what the church needs to do today is to rise up and resist everything, apparently has not even read the Sermon on the Mount because that's not what it's saying at all. There used to be, and I know it's still there, and I'm not going to speak much on this out of my own ignorance, but it's a common catch for a catch word you used to see it on a lot of things i don't know if you still see it it was the word resist it was often plastered on the back of cars or plastered in certain places in certain towns it wasn't being plastered there by believers it was being plastered by people who typically were not believers they were people who just said you ought to resist everything just resist any authority at all remember i began by telling you that this is all about authority. Dying to self means you're not, you are willing to yield authority to the proper places where authority is given. It's that old, old story about the young person who is in an argument with his parents. And he's arguing because he doesn't like their rules. He doesn't like their ways. And he say, you know what? And, and when I get out of here, I'm going to join the military. Because he's going to escape authority, right? <laughs> That's the kind of ignorance he speaks out of. He, he won't recognize family authority. He won't recognize any authority structure in his life. But he thinks, I'm going to find a place out there where I don't have to submit to authority. If you're going to live in this, on this planet, you are always going to have authority. And that authority is not always going to do it your way. And yet... You cannot have this free license that says, listen, you did me wrong so I can resist. That's not what Jesus teaches. Now, you can live that way, but don't claim that's scriptural. But here's part of what was happening. 
It's in, that, that there's an important phrase here that tells us it's the phrase shall compel. This compelling that Jesus is speaking about is speaking about an order of governmental or royal commands, a message that needed to be delivered, and that message needed to be delivered to various parts of that government's empire. It's a great newsflash. They couldn't hit the send button on their phone to get a message out. When the king wanted to get a message out to the kingdom, he needed runners, he needed messengers. And what they would do is they would simply grab a citizen off of the street and they would say to that citizen, you are commanded by the authority of the king to take this message to this part of the kingdom. What Jesus is saying is when that government official tells you to take that message, take the message. As a matter of fact, don't just take the message a mile, take it too. You see the principle? This, is, this isn't about being an extra mile Christian. This is about having a yielded spirit because you've died to yourself. Instead of throwing all the things of my rights and my rights and my rights, folks, how, more, how many more times we have to be told this is not our home? This is not what you're living for. You are not living to make this your best life now. This little church, it's not about making everybody happy and content. We're to live like citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And to do that, you are going to be contrary to the way the world would normally function. Today we hear nothing more and it's it is not the same terminology, but we're hearing from pulpits all over the world. Stand up against Caesar. Refuse to pay his taxes. His taxes are unfair. His taxes are not right. When I saw Jesus talk about Caesar and taxes, he said, render what's due to Caesar. Render what he owns. Render what belongs to him. I told the story years ago about a pastor I know that had his whole church stop paying taxes. And he wanted people to get behind them and say, you need to support this because the government is against us. We got... He ended up in jail and so did half his congregation. I don't feel sorry for him. He wasn't doing right. They weren't telling him at that point, stop preaching Christ. He started on a soapbox about saying we shouldn't have to pay taxes. It's interesting that Jesus has this whole other view of how we're to look at the authority in our life. It all depends upon our dying to self. This, this message that they were compelled to do, it was almost like a giant relay. One messenger would take it to another, that, that messenger would take it on, and so on and so on. So there was a whole line of people that the government had said, you take it this mile. That's, that's the context of what was happening here. It was for service. I wonder, I wonder what actually would happen in our country if that actually was enacted. For service. You can't make me. Jesus is simply saying, listen, go the extra mile. It was the custom. Jesus is teaching that rather than resisting public authority that requires your attendance and aid for a certain distance, go peaceably twice the distance. That's the simplicity of this. 
He's just saying, just do it. Just and go one extra mile. By the way, a mile, just if you're interested in this kind of facts, a mile, a Roman mile, was a thousand paces. Go Twain, go 2,000 paces. Verse 42, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn, now, turn not thou away. This speaks about a believer's generosity. Now we understand we have to use discretion in our giving. Sometimes giving encourages idleness. Sometimes giving encourages people to remain in bad situations. But the general rule is what? Give to him that asketh thee. And from him that would borrow of thee. He's actually even talking about sometimes it might be useful for you to let someone borrow money. These are precepts that are not meant for people who can't comprehend these things. These are precepts that are meant for people that are as a general rule. Not every situation is going to fit into this. But every rule, folks, ought to be balanced by what does the Scripture actually say about this? This is simply teaching us there should be a loving, benevolent side to believers. Our spirit should be one. I'm ready to help. I'm ready to help someone who actually needs it by giving them, or even if, it, even if it might help them better, to loan them money. Now again, we could go to extreme on both sides of this. But the general rule is simply this, that Jesus is saying it's better to give to an undeserving person than to turn away one who really is in need. It ought to be good to be in the habit of giving. At the same time, it's got to be consistent with our first responsibility, which is our own families. Jesus perhaps here was teaching that there may be a deserving friend or a brother in need. We ought to help him. So let's finish with this. What's the plain instruction of these verses? Hard for us to hear, but I think it's the context of what's happening here. Suffer any injury that can be borne. If you can, if you can withstand it, for the sake of peace. Commit your concerns to God. Simply saying, listen, I'm going to forbear as I can and I'm going to submit this over to God for your, for your care. That's the very essence of dying to self. I may take steps that the world may look at and say, this just doesn't make any sense. Folks, we're committing our way to the Lord. We're not committing our way to this life. The sum of it all is that believers should avoid disputing. We should avoid striving. It's not a Christ-like thing to be always disputing and always striving. Listen, we understand that in flesh and blood, we're going to do and say and act ways that we shouldn't act. But Jesus, again, as He teaches the Sermon on the Mount, is teaching us to live as if we're already seated physically, even with Him in the heavenly places. Act upon right principles. Now, again... He's not even mentioning that these are enemies doing this to you. This gets harder. Because next week, now he says, I want you to love your enemy. I want you to love the person that wants you dead. You thought this was difficult. 
he takes it one step further. So I hope, I hope that we'll be prepared for that. So if you'd like to read ahead, we'll, we're going to attempt next week to cover verses 43 through the end of the chapter. So verses 43 through 48 of Matthew 5. All right, let's conclude our time this evening. We'll sing a hymn together, then we'll stand and pray and be dismissed. We're going to finish with the hymn in the crown book, 329. It's five verses, but it's a short hymn. Praise the Savior, 329. Let's stand as we conclude our time this evening.